The lights come up. The camera focuses. You are somewhere in between, and the reality of your life is on show. We feel compelled to put on a show and give a pleasing performance all the time. And on the stage of life, sometimes it's filled with some award-winning performances that most will never get to see on stage. Sometimes, not all of our stories are all glamour. I am Philip Clark, and I want you to join me today as we unearth the many roles of actors, teachers, singers, artists, lawyers. Writers and much more, as they share their journey and the lessons learned on that journey. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. I always start off with a lesson I learned from theater, and that lesson is tonight. It's a team effort. I learned very early in theater that no one is a star. And yeah, you know, they talk about movie stars and they talk about you're always a star when you're on stage. But I learned very early. I learned to appreciate the fact that no one is a star. When you do stage theater, you learn to appreciate the elements of the light and the sound and the costume and the set and the set design and the director and the actors and what they all bring to the stage. In life, it's like that. We all need people to construct and to create and to make us a success. When we are a success, they are a success. So don't try to steal people's thunder or try to put down other people because we are all a sum total of how we combine and collaborate with each other. And so when the applause goes up, I usually feel very humbled because I know that without my cast, I, I wouldn't be who I, who, I, who I was on the stage while I was there. There is a, an Ubuntu term that says we are, you are, I am because you are, and that is so essential and it's, it, it really makes the point. We are who the people are around us. We are them, they are us, they make us successful. No one is a star. Welcome to Lights, Camera real life and tonight i have with me a very young energetic creative talented and promising citizen of this society so ladies and gentlemen mr patrick has a master of science in gender and development from the university of the west indies Mona, yes, I'm also a proud graduate. A trained facilitator in innovative methods of teaching sexuality and reproductive health, crime and violence, parenting, and a particular focus on HIV AIDS. Now look here, no man, why I feel like I can learn Wally tonight because and say, I didn't know all of this, but anyhow. However, I describe him as a humble and non-judgmental non young man. And tonight, he is my guest on Lights, Camera, Real Life. Jumoki, welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. 
Um, really, yeah, man, it is it, it is my pleasure. Let me just start off by saying that Jamoki, I'm really very proud of you. Of course, we're gonna probably reveal when is the first time we met, but I'm really proud of you as a young man who has really grown and transformed and transitioned into such a model citizen. I mean, I don't know what your private life, you know, but yeah, you could be a dog and a, and a rat. I don't know what it is, but I can just speak for myself right up in here that you have really exemplified what it means to be a good citizen of Jamaica with what you're doing with your life. I remember the first time I met Jamoki, ladies and gentlemen, he was a shy, unassuming, insecure, in freedom one shadow, Jamoki. What would you say to that individual now? Who was that individual then, and what would you say to him back then? Um, looking back, um, I don't know who that person was, but I know for sure that that person was shaped by his surroundings, was shaped by the people in his life at the time, and his personal and family experiences. Um, but what I would say to that person now is that you have a lot to learn, you have a lot of people to meet, and you have an amazing journey in front of you. Wow, and that journey is what we're going to talk about this evening, because it's, quite, it's been quite a journey, it seems. Jamoki is the executive director of the Jamaican Network of Zero Positives. Now, Jamoki, we really don't know what that be. So please, could you please help us to explain what is this a Zero Positive and what is the Jamaican Network of Zero? What is it that you do? All right. So um, currently, I'm the executive director for a a non-government organization that has the name the Jamaican Network of Seropositives. For short, we call it JN+. Um, just for people to do a quick name so that they can be familiar with us. Um, we work with people living with and affected by HIV, especially when it comes to care and support. Um, the word seropositive just really means that you have tested positive for a blood test. Oh. Yes, and, and one such test is HIV. So we piggyback on that word, which is not a popular word. It's not used a lot. Even in right. Canada, it's not really used. And, and in 1996, they then found that Ainsley Reed, which was a man who was living with HIV at the time, um, coined it and named it the Jamaican Network of Seropositives. So currently, I serve as the executive director. I'm in my third year um, leading the organization. Like I said earlier, it's really for people living with HIV. Um, if many of you don't know, we have more than 30,000 people in Jamaica living with HIV. And so what we do... We more than 30,000? More than 30,000 people living mm. with HIV. And we provide them with services. We also advocate for an enabling environment. We also um, see how in terms of we can build their capacity to continue to live a fulfilling um, and empowered life. And so that's really what we do in a nutshell. I came across a video of you in Parliament talking about, I think it was a law that was supposed to be passed regarding issues 
of persons who are in the workplace who are diagnosed or found to be uh, HIV positive and are dismissed uh, because they are found out to be HIV positive and you were in parliament talking about this. Jamoke, how did you get to a stage where you in, you're now a public speaker? I mean, <laughs> tell us about that journey because we know how it goes. I mean, Jamoke entered my classroom, ladies and gentlemen. I was um, as a teacher at the time and Jamoke entered my classroom, a shy, unassuming young man. I didn't know he could talk. And today, he's in Parliament defending the rights of persons with HIV not to be dismissed unfairly from their workplace. Did you always see yourself, did you ever see yourself working in something like this, in an era like this? Um, no. That's the quick answer. Um, I never saw myself in public life. I never saw myself in front of people talking, in front of cameras. I never saw myself as somebody who would be giving empowered and um, speeches and, and so forth to people who um, needed it. Um, and as you rightly said, when, when I met you a couple of years ago, well, many years ago, <laughs> um, as a student at the Montego Bay Community College doing communication studies, for me, doing that was just a requirement to get to university. I didn't see right. the importance of it than just matriculating to UWE. And so I was just there. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be heard. I didn't want to participate. And I was already tall and this skinny boy. So I would be okay sitting at the back and just staying right there. And if people walked over me, talked over me, it would be acceptable for me at the time. Mm. And the gods may have it. You picked on me consistently, <laughs> frequently. And, I, and I've shared with you before that I never forget um, I missed one of your communications for this class. I missed a few. And I remember walking on campus and out of nowhere, I bucked up, uh, like right in front of you, you stepped to me and you say, if you ever miss my class one more time, now you have to have it all. Something to that effect. And I was, by the way, guys, I was intimidated by this sharp man. You're, you're not seeing on camera. He scared the life out of me. So after that experience, I decided that, well, listen, I can't miss this class. And to quickly, you know, deal with it, I had to just go and participate. So I made a mental, mental check at the time. All right, Jamal, okay, listen, we just have to go do this. And from there, when you kept on picking on me and pulling on me to talk and to share, little by little, I became more confident in who I am as a person, one. I'm confident to talk in front of people, even my own friends. My friends will tell you, I'm the quiet one, the reserved one. Don't talk. My, I have one word answer. Mm -hmm, uh -huh, yes, no. Okay, cool. No problem. Those were my words growing up, sixth form, etc. But then I recognized that each time I was given a platform to speak or to talk or to communicate, that somebody saw me and then wanted me to talk to them. So whether I was in a social setting, whether I was in a work setting or a school setting, I was being asked to talk. More, I mean, like, why people ask me to talk? Like, you can't just leave me out of the talking, but I'll do the work, you talk. But mm -hmm. whenever I spoke, it was like, or whenever I speak um, to persons or in a setting, people were like, oh, God, you must talk, you must talk, you must share, because you're very... 
um, passionate or you're very expressive when you talk. I'm like, Jesus. So, really, from there, it just became a thing. And even as an adult, it's not like I'm this confident person. And, I, and when I'm around people, like, I'm so overly confident that, you know, I'm the man. Even in my spaces now, I have to, like, all right, it's okay, Jamoki. You're nervous, but once you start talking, it will become natural. It will become easy. So when I'm speaking nationally um, to individual communities, or even when I go overseas for conferences or meetings and I'm speaking, I bring the passion with me now because I'm representing communities that are disenfranchised. I'm representing communities that are marginalized and are, and are on the fringes when it comes to a lot of things, especially in our country. And then I remember when at a point in time when I was also disenfranchised, when I also didn't have the money, the resources, the friends, the job, the etc. And I remember how I felt and I remember wanting to be empowered, wanting to have my own money, wanting to have my own whatever resources that made me happy. So as a privileged man now, which I'm admitting to, I don't take it for granted when I'm talking about issues related to people living with HIV, issues related to um, the poor, issues related to any community that is being marginalized because mm -hmm. I, I literally came from that background, that setting. I'm from Westmoreland, rural Westmoreland, poor Westmoreland. We didn't have it. So yeah. as a man now, despite all I have achieved, despite all I want to even do in life, I have to keep in the back of my head not to forget, to remember that it was a process, to remember that to get to where I am now, I had to speak up. I had to express myself. I had to be passionate about what I'm talking to. And I also had to find a passion, something that I love, which is something I really want to talk about when I matriculated to you, doing a, a degree that I hated so much, but decided mm -hmm. to stick it out. I knew I was not going to do anything with that degree. So mm -hmm. did that was is that your first degree? Yes, did accounting. And when I was in third year, I said, like, no, sir, this is boring. This is not me. Why am I mm -hmm. doing accounting? I hope, mm -hmm. I hope um, Andrew McKay is not hearing this because he taught me accounts that come to me. Um, but I hated it. It was boring. But I did it nonetheless because I didn't want to stay at UWI any longer time. And that's where it ended. Didn't use the degree and just went into a different um, field. So what caused the shift? What made the shift? Um, what caused the shift was I was trying to figure out what I needed to do. So I knew I didn't like accounts, finance. I didn't want to work in a bank or any of those things. So I was right. trying to figure out. And I was like, okay, God, what may I go to now? And the first job I got was with the Asher Performing Arts Company as a project officer, a project assistant. So I don't remember the title at the time. And it was to... Um, administer uh, HIV project, sexuality and reproductive health project that they had received from a funder um, in 2009, 2010. And mm -hmm. that's where the passion started. That's where when I recognized, okay, this is me. This is what I want to do. And also, I was so good at managing, coordinating, logistically working on things. So project management was a thing. So I went mm -hmm. back to UN and I did a project management course at Mona School of Business. 
And I, I love this so much. I kid you not that I eat, sleep it. Um, weekends I'm working because I was so passionate about it. And it was the opportunity to talk to people who needed somebody to talk to. That's so my personal story, which right. a lot of people needed to hear and to recognize that you can overcome, that you can move from point A to point B, that you can achieve, that you can accomplish, and that the change begins with you in order for the world to change. And so I shared in those spaces, on those platforms, and I just continued to do it and loved it. And because of the love, because of the passion, because I believe it's my genuine desire to help people, it catapulted me into places and spaces that I have reveled in and that has and treated me well. Absolutely well said. I am really very inspired at this moment. Yes, Jamoki, go on, go do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so important to have a passion, eh? I mean, that is something that you actually, it feeds you. You know, more than anything else, it feeds you. Tell me something, though. Discrimination, advocacy, and stigma is a, is a, is a large part of what you hear every day. Right. How, what are some of the lessons that you learn about your own society when you have to deal with these issues? Well, especially in a country like Jamaica. So, okay. So I will very much admit that growing up, I was very discriminatory. Because very what? Not discriminatory towards people who I didn't know, um, being young at the time, not knowing, not understanding, and my upbringing and socialization um, made me respond in such a way towards individuals, mm -hmm. towards community of persons. Um, knowledge is power. Knowledge is key to change and transformation. And so the more I learned about myself, figuring out who Jumoki is, figuring out what makes Jumoki happy, recognizing that Jumoki, you're not really meant to fit in. You're not really meant to be normal. But people are going to hate you and say things about you because you don't fit in with the normal right. people. Right. Um, so I had to recognize it within myself. So when I see stigma and discrimination, now, whether it's to the LGBT population, whether it's to people living with HIV, whether it's to somebody because they're black in complexion versus brown, it triggers me because even the simplest of things you now triggers me when it comes to stigma and discrimination, how somebody speaks to somebody because of how they look or how they just. So, yeah. I think our socialization as a country, which is very unfortunate, is anchored in stigmatization in such a way that we don't even know we're doing it. So just so we can say, go on to Fatty, we don't know her name, but we quickly give her a label, fatty, because yeah. she's fat. Um, yeah. And the different simple things that we take for granted, but the, the, the quote-unquote fat girl is depressed because of it, um, has low self-esteem because of it. Mm -hmm. But it's normal, it's the, the fat girl, the fluffy girl, and she like it, she's supposed to accept that she's fat. We even justify those types of things. We justify mm -hmm. why... We must be the batting man. We justify why 
while lesbians or sex workers or people living with HIV mustn't live anymore. Once they contract HIV, you're supposed to stop having sex and dead and all these things. But people living with HIV still want to have sex. And if people understand... Because they're human and they feel like us. Everybody. Go. There you go. And once you put yourself in a position to know more, you can change. So, for example, for some people, the change don't happen until somebody close to them is HIV positive or their best friend is gay and then their behavior and attitude towards the community yeah. or those persons change. Yeah. And then you say, oh, it has to be personal for a lot of persons to understand the repercussions and the consequences of their actions towards communities for people to change. And in Jamaica, unfortunately, that's how it has to happen for a lot of people mm -hmm. to understand and recognize. Mm -hmm. So let's use people living with HIV because I do work with that, that, that community. And today I was in St. Anne talking to a group of people living with HIV. And they all said when they found out that they were positive, they wanted to kill themselves because nobody would love them, nobody would care about them or want to touch them. And what also they heard about HIV um, made them hate themselves as well, scorning yeah. themselves, calling themselves nasty. Yeah. And what made the change for them is somebody that talked to them, somebody that gave them the information, somebody that built their capacity to understand that living with HIV is not a death sentence. Living with HIV is not saying that you use this drink out of the same cup or you right. or kiss somebody, they'll contract HIV. So knowledge is power, information is critical and important to combat stigma and discrimination. And for us as a country, I believe we need to do more on the legislative and government level. All right, before you get into that, the part that me know, cause me know you got a roll for the one, the ladies and gentlemen. We're talking to Jamoki Patrick. He is the executive director of Jamaica, the Jamaican network of seropositive, JN Plus for short. And he is passionately talking about how he came to be involved in this uh, kind of work. So Jamoki, as you talk about Jamaica and legislation, as a young person involved in this kind of work, do you think Jamaica is changing in terms of behavioral change towards uh, uh, people living with AIDS, homosexuals, um, you know, different types of choices of sexuality? Do you think that Jamaica is changing? I, I ask that question because I don't know, and you're on the ground. Um, have we made progress um, and strides as it relates to making society and environment and communities better for people living with HIV or the LGBT community? Sure, we have. I won't deny that. I won't dismiss any um suggestions or or evidence to prove that people have we have changed from the the, the 90s the early 2000s to where we are now mm -hmm. when we look at issues related to people living with hiv when we, when we look at issues related to the lgbt community um, um when we look and let me break when we look at people living with hiv there was a time when uh, 
people living with HIV were predominantly kicked out of their houses, their communities a lot. There was mm-hmm. a time when people living with HIV were scorned and uh, treated unfairly, where they were dismissed from their jobs. They were, they were um, treated unfairly because of being HIV positive. And those treatments, those experiences for them was fed from, uh, uh, from people not knowing, like I said earlier. The government, whichever administration it is or has been, have yeah. done some amount of work to help with um, those challenges for people living with HIV. So now so no, we, have, we have a lot of organizations than before working with people living with HIV. We're having more open dialogue with people living with HIV. We have civil society organizations, NGOs that are providing treatment care and so, and so forth services for people living with HIV. We have more people living with HIV showing their faces, which is a good thing. There was a time when only one or, or maybe just one person in Jamaica wanted to show their, their face as people living with right. HIV. I remember a time we had to block out their face. I was going to show certain people or, or, dis, or distort their voices on radio because we didn't want people to recognize people's mm-hmm. voices, etc. So we have changed with those small things. I think we really have a long way to go. There's no question. There's no doubt about that. We still have a long way to go where legislations are concerned because HIV is not linear. It is linked to the LGBT community. It is linked to um, sex worker community. It is linked to um, gender-based violence. It is linked to intimate partner mm-hmm. violence. It is linked to women and girls, especially those that are marginalized, especially those that are poor. So it is linked to poor, the rich. So HIV is intertwined with everything that we do. So how are we going to be at a place where we can talk about people living with HIV or HIV without it coming from a place of you stay over there and mm-hmm. you negative over here. We have to, ha- we have to be at that place. Um, we are trying. My civil society partners are mostly which are the advocates because, listen, activism and advocacy are, is very important. No question about it. So government officials won't understand the plight of the LGBT people living with HIV, sex workers, women and girls, because they're, they're already at a place where they have never had these experiences. Right. They have never been molested. They have never been kicked out of their homes. And these are privileged people who born with money in their pocket or gold teeth in their mouth, like we used to say. So how do we bring communities to the table when we're talking about interventions, when we're talking about approaches and strategies for these communities to ensure that they do work? Currently, we are putting Band-Aid on a bit sore. Mm. You, you have played the role of the ostracized or the undermined. And you've also played the role of the defender of the discriminated. What is that lesson that you have learned having played two ends of the spectrum? What has that taught you? Um, it's, not easy. it's not as easy as how it looks. <laughs> um, so when we, when we hear about or we see 
see people who have whatever marginalized labels, whether they're gay, bisexual, transgender, whether they are people living with HIV. Yeah. Um, we don't know the full story. We just know the label of the person. Yeah. Um, when you sit and have conversations with these persons, just to listen, just to give them a voice, and mm -hmm. they share their experiences and what they have gone through, you shake your head in dismay because you're, you pretty much look at the person and you want to say, how are you still alive? Yeah. Um, and some people, it varies. Some people have it mildly in terms of the discrimination, the violence, the hatred, or whatever we want to type it, those mm -hmm. as. For myself, I think I did pretty well to surround myself with people who could lift me up. So I recognize, hey, um, you really can't do this on your own. Yeah. So, oh, you go move forward in life. And so, having people around me, having friends around me, having a community around me was important. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that very early. And I yeah. had to relinquish all my pride, all my fears, and quickly open my mouth and share. And, yeah. and yeah. the importance of talking, which I learned so much from you, the importance of sharing. When, it, when I was in those situations, it's like me, I blurt out everything. I wanted somebody to help me. I wanted somebody to be there for me. I wanted somebody to support me. And right. I got that quickly. Um, Good so, for you. Right. I'm not, but the thing is about, the thing is, Philip, not everybody will do that one. Not everybody will have the friends. Not everybody will be open to do that. And the yeah. easiest way out for a lot of persons is to take them, take, take their lives or just live in depression and limitation for the rest of their lives. So what was good for me was I used my own personal experiences, mm -hmm. what I went through, as well as my listening and talking to others who are affected even to this day. And when I talk and share, whether it's to a government official, mm -hmm. whether it's the private sector, whether it's to those persons who have the capacity to orchestrate, orchestrate change in Jamaica or in their mm -hmm. own personal space. I'm not going there beating around the bush and, and, and putting up the conversation because people need to know that while mm -hmm. you are living in your bubble or you are living uptown or in your gated community, mm -hmm. you have a young girl, a woman, a, a transgender person, a gay man somewhere who is walking on the street crying, don't know where they're going to get the, the, the food from for the night, don't know where they're going to get the money for to survive the next day. And so every day is like a, a trial and error in terms mm -hmm. of survival. So when you know these things, as an advocate, you cannot at any day ease back and relax yeah. and, and accept what is happening now in society because you i'm walking on somebody else's shoulder that was there before me yeah. who paved the way for me and, yeah. and made me have the opportunity that i'm having now and i want to do that for many more persons. but you you talk about you talk about learning your sexuality learning learning about you do you think mm -hmm. we understand sexuality though you have done studies in gender 
and development. You have been a trainer in sexuality, whatever that is. You have to teach about that. But do you think we understand what sexuality is? For example, uh, Dalton Harris came out the other day and said that he's a pansexual. <laughs> what is that? And uh, what does that mean? What do you have to deal with? It says, I'm talking about self-knowledge here. Educate me, because do you think, to be fair to Jamaicans, do we understand what this thing called sexuality is? And why is no. it so important? Uh, so we don't understand sexuality um, in the way that we should. So it's yeah. black and white. Either love man, love woman, either straight, either gay. You pick a side and work with that. Um, so, and growing up in rural Jamaica, it was that. Yeah, your, your, your teacher is saying, your teacher, Andrew, is saying, catch a student. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> um, there's, we, we weren't taught anything outside of that. And so yeah. when you have conversation with the regular man now about to say that, for example, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, and biological sex are, are all on a continuum. And you can have, you can be, you can, I can gender identify as a man. However, I was born as a, um, a, a female with a vagina. So there's no nuance to the conversation. There's no, there's no open mind to have those conversations with people. Because despite not having a conversation, we're having... But Jamoki, Jamoki, were you always open? Or did you no, always no. have an open mind? No, no, no. So even with, even with how I talk about sexuality now and thinking about my own personal life is when I reach you, we are probably a graduate from you and me, me, me say, oh, me kind of figure out, well, you really don't like that, Jamoki. You prefer this. Or Jamoki, it is okay to be that versus it's okay to be this. Um, for me, it was black and white. It was one straight linear thing and that was it. So, and even now, I kid you not, I'm learning so much more about sexuality. Yeah and what it is for people. And even with the Dalton Harris thing, where he says he's pansexual, or he, he put up that flag, and a lot of us don't know what that is like, you have said. And, and, and that, that is really, he's, he's open to being attracted to any gender or identity. He's not, he's not stuck to anyone. So whether it's- but aren't, we, one, but aren't we all attracted to something about somebody at some point in time in our lives? Why the right. label? Aren't we, aren't we all, I mean, as a child, you, you, you admire your, uh, your father, uh, you admire your mother, you, you, but those are not sexual, of course, but don't we, aren't we attracted to something about somebody at some point in time in our lives? Why do we need to advertise that we are this or that? And how did you arrive at a sense of consciousness about who you are. Okay. So this whole label conversation is really like, I mean, personally, I think we need labels. Don't get me wrong. We do need You need labels. what? We need, you're not hearing me? Go ahead. Hold on, I'm probably disconnected. Yeah, man, say it again. We need what? Labels? You were freezing up a while ago. Yeah, no? go ahead. Yeah, man, I'm hearing you. You hearing me now? Yes. 
Right. So, um, I think we do need labels. That is important okay. in terms okay. of people like to be labeled or be seen as something. We like that. Okay. We like to have labels so that we can know if we like, for example, that's how we know if we like soup versus porridge. That's how we know if we like pea soup versus cock soup or versus. Right. So we grew up with that type of labeling of things, mm -hmm. that identifying of things. So it, it naturally um, transitioned and, and translates into many other things. So that's how people will know if they're straight. That's how people will know if they're gay. That's why people will know if they're bisexual. Or that's why people will know if they're fluid and them just as, them just attracted to anything, man, woman, and and whomever, transgender, and they're okay with that. Some people are like that, and some people want to be identified as that so that somebody else don't make the mistake, step into them and say, yo. Right. Right. Um, right. The right. I don't want to say difficulty though, but the thing with that as well, because labels in some sense don't have a look, it creates it creates Joy Joy says Joy says labels create community, positive or negative. Exactly. Okay. Positive or negative, labels create a community. That's why you can't know if you go down you can't go down the road there because the people don't down the road and I like certain people. That's why you know say the bar there is, is open to LGBT mm -hmm. persons or the bar there is open to sex work. That's how you know. So the labels are very important. Um personally it took me a while to understand that I needed to decide how I identify so that I cannot lead on a person, so that I cannot attract something or someone that I don't want to attract, so that I can know who I am. Knowing that who I am is okay. very important and labels help me. Right. Okay, understood. But I I wanted to to say that we arrive at who we are at various times in our life, which is why when you talk about advocacy, when you talk about you know lobbying and you are so passionate about whether people get you or not, shouldn't we be a little bit more patient with them because of the time that we take to get there? We have to be patient with people. Um, <laughs> finding ourselves is not easy. Not easy. Uh, not for some of us. It took us years into our adulthood to decide. Absolutely. That, oh, this is me. Some of us will figure it out early. Some of us, it's not until we reach in our old age that we recognize this is not for me. Um, some of us don't want to figure out who we are because <clears throat> the true self is not acceptable to our families, to our friends. To the our true families. self. Let me let me repeat that. Hold on, hold on a second. I, want it. I like that. I like that. The true self is not acceptable to your families, your friends, your surroundings, your community. Wow. So, so for example, wow. Let's say I'm I know I'm attracted to a man, sexually, yeah. intimately, um, right. emotionally. Right. But I know my family does not support that. My church does not support that. My community, whomever, my, my, my colleagues at work. Correct. That is going to be a big decision or heavy load on me to make in that moment. Do I yeah. disenfranchise myself from all these people that I'm used to since childhood to accept the true Jumoki Patrick? Or do I still 
live under the shadow or the disguise of being straight or to be something else because yeah. society accepts me for that. And so what you'll find is many men, many women who are gay will never come out, will marry. Yeah. Just because they want to hide that and live an unhealthy and an unhappy life for years. And regret it when they become older and live in depression or whatever because of not being able to figure self um, in those years when we should be doing that. And we don't allow people to figure themselves. So when the baby born, you could slap on the, 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 the pink or the blue or you could slap on labels, etc. Because for mm -hmm. you, you want them to be that. When that baby, that child grow up and doesn't identify with the dress, doesn't identify with the, 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 the leggings or the bra and want to wear a baggy pants and a relaxed right. shirt. You right. bash her because of, of, of not... <laughs> me don't want that in my house. And yeah. that girl or that person who does not identify with even her vagina or her breast lives an unhappy life. And, but we want that person to accept that well, God made you in his image and likeness, and because God gave you a breast and a vagina, you should accept that you have a breast and vagina, even though the identity, the mind mm -hmm. of the girl doesn't coincide with what a breast is or what a, a vagina is, etc. So we Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, whoa, it's getting hot in here. No, Jamo, okay, hold on, man. Hold on, take time with them. Woo! Uh, we are speaking to Jamoki Patrick. He is the executive director of JN Plus. That's the Jamaican network of zero positives. And we're talking about his journey, his career, and uh, all the things that relate to his career, sexuality, crime and violence, parenting, and uh, HIV, AIDS uh, advocacy. Jamoki, how does one accept oneself for who they are how oh wow hmm. how do you how well let me ask you how did you do it <laughs> is it the studies that you learned in gender and, and development or okay no um how did i do it wow it was hard um it was hard, that much I can admit. Um, it took a lot of strength to decide that in identifying and accepting who I am, that I'll be losing some people and, that, and, and I had to accept that that would be okay. Okay. So that's one. But before yeah. I got there, remember this whole thing about community and family very important in the process. Yes. So it's not like yes. I got up one day as an empowered person and said, right. whatever. No, right. it was a process. I, I had to talk to somebody who had been there before. I had to surround my, myself with people who loved themselves and also loved me for who I am. I had to be a part of conversations that, that uplifts me, that motivates me, that empower mm -hmm. me to become an individual for myself first before I can become an individual. But it takes work. Yes. It takes it work. work. It took a lot of work. Um, even though here talking to you, I wouldn't say I'm the 
most empowered person and I don't have um, issues dealing with. Right. But where I am now is at a place where I know myself come first. And I know what I think about myself is more important than what other people mm -hmm. think and say about me. So I am at that place. Not many mm -hmm. people will be at that place or want to be at that place. Right. It's strong enough to go to that place. And so whatever works for people, if you need to surround yourself with people who are going to love you, if you need to go somewhere, talk to somebody, seek counseling, if you need to find community. a spiritual community that will help you or any type of community that will I recommend that because trust me, it's not easy. And if in such a country as ours that we live in where once something is different from what we know it to be, once it's not black, once it's not white, yeah. once, if it's ever pink yeah. or purple, that's the we suffer. So if in our pink and purple self, we have to figure out how my pink and purple self is going to uh, is going to exist in this black and white community where mm -hmm. my color is going to show me up. Yeah. Jamoke, I we 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 are almost out of time. It's 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 um, it's amazing that we we're almost out of time. It's, this has been a fabulous evening, wonderful conversation, and my guests are loving it. Um, Andrew says, uh, it's very hard to come to accept who you are. It's hard, it's rough, and sometimes you don't even sure. Very good, very, very true, Andrew. But I usually ask my guests this question uh, just before I close. Jamoke, many young people, younger than myself, <laughs> watch the show. And uh, what would you say to one young person? What is one thing that you would say to a young person who is watching now? Andrew said part two. <laughs> Andrew. Um, don't ever think it's the end of the road. Don't ever take? Don't ever think it's the end of the road. Don't ever think that this is your last um, moment in life. So that one experience, that experience that you're going through now, don't ever think that it ends there. You have a lot more to come. Continue to grow. Continue to flourish. Continue to um exists because there's always a light on the other end yeah. for you and I think there's all there has been there has been always a light for me when I'm going through an issue when I was mm -hmm. growing up what I had to do with um, finances what I had to do with living in rural Jamaica and not knowing who I wanted to become or where I wanted to go mm -hmm. not knowing who would love me for who I am but I, I, I stuck through it, and there was always some good moments, even to this day. So don't give up. It's really not the end. You're in a near it, so push through. It's difficult for sure. I won't disagree. I won't pretend that it's not difficult for a lot of persons. Um, and you'll find yourself in a place and in a space where you're accepted, where you're loved, and people will appreciate you. Jamoke, uh, 
you almost moved me to tears. And I think you almost moved Andrew to tears as well. <laughs> it was uh, a pleasure. That last nugget was uh, what sealed it. And I want to thank you for really joining me to this, eve this evening. I mean, it was a rich conversation and you spoke so passionately. And I'm sure those of my friends online and your friends online, they enjoyed it. Thank you guys for coming and, and thank you for sharing in this conversation. Somebody said I'm one part two, but you know, Jamoke, <laughs> that is a testament of who you are as an individual. I, I want to say right now, I am glad that I had a part to play in you your you own development. I, I'm, I'm very proud of that. You know? <laughs> so, I got to take that big up there right now. Thank you guys for coming on. Join me again next week, same time for Lights, Camera, Real Life. You'll turn up the thing tonight, Jamoki. Have a good evening. Thank you all for right? the opportunity. Love you. Yeah, man. Anytime. All the best. All right.